Get to Old Navy for the biggest sale of the year. Up to 60% off all back-to-school styles for kids and baby. Get flip-flops for 2 bucks, graphic tees for 4 bucks, shorts for $6, and jeans for $8. Right now, get the best kids' styles at kid-size prices. Just 2 4 6 and $8. Can't wait to wear it? Buy online and pick up in-store free today. Up to 60% off all kids and baby styles now at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. Valid 729 to 811. Select styles. Excludes in-store clearance. Get to Old Navy for the biggest sale of the year. Up to 60% off all back-to-school styles for kids and baby. Get flip-flops for 2 bucks, graphic tees for 4 bucks, shorts for $6, and jeans for $8. Right now, get the best kids' styles at kid-size prices. Just 2 4 6 and $8. Can't wait to wear it? Buy online and pick up in-store free today. Up to 60% off all kids and baby styles now at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. Valid 729-811. Select styles. Excludes in-store Welcome everyone to another episode of the NBA Podcast. I'm Brian Toporek and we are going to continue our division previews today for the 2017-18 season with the Central Division. Before we get underway, wanted to remind you that you can follow us on Twitter at the NBA Pod. In our bio, you can find all three of our Twitter handles to so give us a follow as well. You can also find us on iTunes, so please subscribe, download, leave some reviews. We would love any feedback. We're being hosted this year on FanRag Sports, so check them out on Twitter at FanRag Sports and for their NBA content at FanRag NBA. Joining me today, as always, are my two co-hosts, Morton Jensen and Sarah Chaleo. How's it going, you two? I've been dreading this day. I have a tab <laughs> open from Basketball Reference on Gar Foreman's <laughs> transactions oh. since he was hired as a general manager. And I was reminded that he won Executive of the Year in 2011, and I'm I'm crying right now out of just first. Get to Old Navy for the biggest sale of the year. Up to 60% off all back-to-school styles for kids and baby. Get flip-flops for 2 bucks, graphic tees for 4 bucks, shorts for $6, and jeans for $8. Right now, get the best kids' styles at kid-size prices. Just 2 4 6 and $8. Can't wait to wear it? Buy online and pick up in-store free today. Up to 60% off all kids and baby styles now at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. Valid 729 to 811. Select styles. Excludes in-store clearance. Hilarity and secondarily because how the mighty have fallen, Bryant, upon the sword. You, you don't think he's going to win executive of the year this year for getting Zach Levine? He got three lottery picks for Jimmy Butler. Oh, oh, you know what? If if we count that as lottery picks, Doug Collins was picked first in 1973. There you so. go. Yeah, four lottery picks in one summer. Yep. Unbelievable job yep. by Gar Foreman and the Bulls. Uh, I'm very excited to get there with you, Mort. Sarah, how are you doing? Doing well. I, I also don't know what I'm going to say about the Bulls today, but <laughs> I think I'll just let Mort handle it. That seems like the safe route to go. Uh, we also have a special guest joining us today, Nikias Duncan of FanRag Sports. Nikias, how's it going? It is going pretty well. Can't complain too much. Thank you for joining us. Uh, before we get underway, can you let our listeners know where they can find you on Twitter and then where else they can find your work? Um, you can find me on Twitter at Nikias NBA. That's N E K I A S NBA. Um, you can find my work at FanRag Sports, or you can find some of my heat content at MiamiHeatBeat.com. Great, awesome, yeah. Give Nikias a follow. Definitely one of the more entertaining people out there on NBA Twitter. Uh, let's start with the Cleveland Cavaliers, who had, frankly, the probably the most tumultuous summer of anyone in this division. Uh, actually, maybe not, but. 
most interesting summer because they, uh, you know, they they lost to the Warriors in the finals in five games in a series that was closer than the final series scoreline would indicate, but you know they were right in there. Uh, then Kyrie Irving submits a trade request in July. All summer, we start wondering, like, uh-oh, are they going to trade Kyrie with two years left on his deal? Then out of the blue, in August, they do trade Kyrie to the Boston Celtics for Isaiah Thomas, Jay Crowder, Antti Zizic, and the Brooklyn Nets 2018 first-round pick. We have come to learn that the hip injury uh, that hobbled Thomas late in the year and throughout the playoffs seems more severe than we knew at the time we still don't really know when he's going to be ready or if he's going to be ready at the start of the season uh so there's a strong chance that derrick rose is the Cavs' opening night starting point guard going against kyrie irving and the boston celtics uh mort you have experience with derrick rose from your chicago days do you think he can hold down the fort at the point until it4 is ready to play I so desperately want to say yes, Brian, but I can't. Uh, not anymore. He had what people call a bounce-back year in New York last year, but it was mostly volume. It was not very efficient play. He was one of the worst defensive point guards in the NBA. So I have my doubts there. He's probably going to have some nice scoring games. He's probably going to have a nice raw stat line, but then when you dig into the numbers, it's probably going to look very bleak. Um, whether that counts as holding down the fort, that's debatable. I, I, But to his credit, I think he's going to play his role, which is, is to come in and score. Uh, but he's not going to be the be-all and end-all for the Cavs. LeBron is, is definitely going to take over that sort of responsibility for him. Yeah, I think what makes it tricky is that going, you know, Rose is a ball-dominant point guard, uh, and he's not a great shooter, and going to a team with LeBron... You're not going to take the ball out of LeBron's hands. So maybe you use Rose as a cutter and a slasher and you can unlock him that way. Uh, but, you know, ideally you want a bunch of catch-and-shoot guys around LeBron and Rose isn't that. Well, not from range. I mean, he, here's the thing. Rose was actually developing into one of the best mid-range shooters in the NBA during his early seasons. Mm. Uh, which was a skill that he could you know, translate onto this team had it not been for the fact that the NBA has begun to hate mid-range shots, right. which mathematically is understandable. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, you, you're not going to see him take a lot of shot or a lot of spot-up threes. It's just not going to happen. But if he can somehow cut and move and create himself open, possi- uh, open possibilities for you know, 15, 17-foot uh, range area, I I wouldn't turn him down. I mean, if it's a high percentage shot, why not? But the thing is, when you have LeBron on the floor, chances are you can get a higher percentage shot however you want it if you just give the ball to LeBron. <laughs> right, true. Uh, and I would say defense is a concern as well, but it's not like Isaiah Thomas is a stalwart on that end of the court, so it's really a pick-your-poison of which poor defensive point guard are you going to have. Uh Luckily, they did get Jay Crowder in that deal as well, and he actually should make a huge difference on defense. So, Nikias, I want to ask you, how much of a role do you see Jay Crowder playing in Cleveland this year? Um, I think he's going to serve well as that connective glue on both ends of the floor. Uh, I think his floor spacing will definitely help. 
He's a really good cutter, so that's gonna, he should be a natural fit alongside LeBron just off of that. Um, I'm really just interested to see exactly when he's going to play. I don't know mm-hmm. if they're going to start him or if they're going to bring him off the bench. Yeah, I mean, it is an interesting question because in theory you're going to have, I mean, either Derrick Rose or Isaiah Thomas at one, J.R. Smith the two. You're probably mm-hmm. not going to bench Kevin Love or Tristan Thompson, so you're going to have LeBron at the three, K-Love at the four, Tristan at the five, and then that, yeah, that begs the question of, are you putting Crowder in like an Andre Iguodala super sub role, or are you gonna bump J.R. Smith to the bench and have him come off as a microwave scorer? It's Tyron Lue has a lot of interesting rotation questions ahead of him, regardless of the Isaiah Thomas situation. Kevin Love is a five, maybe. Yeah, and then benching Tristan Thompson. I feel like you need Tristan's rim protection. Whatever, whatever rim protection he provides in that starting lineup. Yeah, he's more of a positional switchy type defender more than a rim protector. I think Kevin Love has improved enough um, in pick and roll coverage to where you could kind of live with it at least in the regular season. I don't know what to do against Golden State. Though. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean Crowder in theory will help a lot against Golden State because he's their best wing defender now he can take some of that responsibility away from LeBron LeBron won't get as tired like you can just stick Crowder on Kevin Durant which is you know the problem that Bron ran into in the finals last year is he was asked to play such a huge offensive role but then also had to guard Kevin Durant and by the like the middle of the third quarter every game he was huffing and puffing and he was out of steam so Crowder at least in that regard should be a big you know big x factor against Golden State but yeah, it's going to be interesting to see where he fits, how many minutes he plays. Maybe, you know, like, do they try him or Braun at the four, do a lot, of, like, do some small ball? Like, Tyron Liu has the pieces to get creative if he <laughs> if he wants to, but he could also go very traditional. Um, Sarah, Zach Lowe had a piece recently where he talked to the Cavs and Tyron Liu about Kevin Love in particular and how, you know, now that Kyrie is gone and now with Isaiah's health status being up in the air, it sounds like they're expecting him to have his best year yet in Cleveland. What, you know, we've heard for years now how they want to get him more touches at the elbow and at the high post, and then they do it for a couple games and it never materializes. <laughs> do you think that's something they focus on more, especially given their uncertainty at point guard, or how else do you, would you like to see them unlock the Minnesota version of Kevin Love? Sometimes I just imagine that like people bringing this type of discussion to Kevin Love, and in his mind he has to be like, "So now I'm important." <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, uh, hopefully. I mean, maybe 100% of Minnesota Kevin Love doesn't exist, but as Zach Lowe mentioned in his piece, there's still something there that they certainly can access. Uh, he mentioned in that piece uh, that according to Sport VU numbers, back in 2014. Kevin Love got 12 elbow touches per game. Last year he had 2.8. So, you know, if that continues with, especially with IT out in the beginning of the year, that's pretty unacceptable. <laughs> they got to go to that a little bit more often, try to open up the floor for the guy. I think playing him at the five is a really interesting idea. Um, then you can even, like you said, slide Crowder in at the three, maybe LeBron at the four, give LeBron some of a break. Uh, defensively, depending on who you're up against, um, open up the floor so that Kevin Love can just dive to the rim a lot more. 
Uh, he's pretty got a pretty high free throw rate, I think, when he gets the ball down there. So open that up. You could still run him horn sets with uh, Tristan Thompson on the floor, and it's you know it's pretty simple to just kind of run it to t Tristan's side, have him roll and have K Love pop out to the three point line. All this kind of stuff is there. They've run it before. Um, I just would expect to see them go to it a little more often. Yeah, I mean, they're definitely going to have to take some of the load off of LeBron because mm -hmm. Jay Crowder's you know great defensively, but he's not. He doesn't profile as a high volume wing scorer. I think he you know he'll chip in ten, twelve, fifteen points a game at most. But you know they're going to need someone to pick up the slack that Kyrie leaves. So it, it's going to be interesting to see how or if they can get Kevin Love going. Uh, you know they did. I mean, frankly, like. Since the 2016 finals, he he did have his best year last year in Cleveland, but now they're going to need even more from him, at least until IT comes back. Um, I think the, the big question with Cleveland, aside from the IT stuff, is, you know, this is looking like it is last is LeBron James' last year with the Cavaliers. Um, you know, he's all but... The fact he didn't shoot down the LeBron to LA rumors in 2018 right away when they started leaking out earlier this year basically seems to confirm that barring an unexpected like 16-0 sweep through the playoffs, or I mean if he beat the Warriors maybe he stays, but it seems like he's gone. So more, we were talking earlier, and I, I expect LeBron... <clears throat> To just, like, especially after all the Kyrie stuff and, like, part of the reason Kyrie left is because he didn't want to play next to LeBron. Like, I'm expecting him to just unfurl, like, a complete FU campaign and just, like, <laughs> basically do what Russell Westbrook did last year. Like, gobble up 40% of the possessions when he's on the floor, try to put down a triple-double every game. Be like, oh, yeah. you wanted to leave me, Kyrie? I'm going to show you. <laughs> you, on the other hand, are a little more skeptical about his output in the regular season. What do you, so why do you expect LeBron, or what do you expect from him this season, I should say? Well, Dan Gilbert is still the owner. Yeah. And because of that, I don't think he's going to go balls out for that guy. Mm. Not at all. Um, you had a wonderful scale in our <laughs> intro email yeah. here going... On a scale of one to I'm going to murder your entire family, where do you expect LBJ to fall this year? I'm probably going to say, if we assume that murdering one's entire family is ten, <laughs> yes. about four. Oh, okay. I think it's going to be regular old LeBron is going to somewhat coast in the regular season, and that's about it. Then, of course, against Boston, he's going to drop 50. Right. And in the playoffs, he's going to return to regular old dominating LeBron James, but I don't think he is going to go the extra mile for an owner like that. I think that plays into his mindset a lot. Yeah, I mean, it's it's tricky to say because I'm sure that is in his mind and it's pretty evident that he has never quite forgiven Dan Gilbert for the way he treated him when he left in 2010. Uh, but I think he does have a connection with that community, that Cleveland fan base. So, mm. you know, I don't think, I don't, like, I'm not going to say that you were arguing he's going to dog it during the regular season. You're just saying he's going to go like oh, no, 80%, no. which is kind of what he did for much of last year. Um, yeah. I mean, I just don't, especially given the uncertainty with Isaiah Thomas and, like, you know, as you said, Derrick Rose had a bounce back year, but, like, 
he's Derrick Rose. He's probably going to get hurt at some point this year. Then they have like or just leave without telling anyone, <laughs> right? Yeah, or just go completely MIA. So then they have what like Jose Calderon as their point guard. Like I don't think they have the personnel for him to not give more of a damn than he did last year. Like last year, at least Kyrie and Kevin Love could sort of cover that up. Um, but I feel like LeBron's just going to have to put forth a little more effort during the regular season to make sure the Cavs. Like I, I don't think they really care if they're the number one seed in the East. I think they'll happily cede that to Boston if it means having a healthy Isaiah Thomas heading into the playoffs. But like yeah, I, that's... I don't think they want to be the four seed. Like I, I think he's going to at least try to keep them in that top two mix. Oh, I don't think he cares. Mm. I think he fully well understands that it doesn't matter what seed they are as long as they are a seed. Because when playoffs comes around, it's LeBron James go time yeah. and I think he understands that I think everyone else understands that and if the if the Cavs start out like 500 over the first 30 maybe even 40 games it's still enough to make the playoffs yeah in the east because right. the east sucks right That's so true. and then when IT comes back it's probably going to be another month for him to really incorporate himself into the team and if they end up winning like 55% of their games 50 eight maybe 60 that's good that's all fine and dandy because playoffs are here i'm ready to go so i i I don't i really don't put a lot of stock into the regular season when it's uh in regards to lebron at all i i don't think he cares i think he wants a season that's like 20 games and that's about it yeah like he just wants the regular season to be over with what like six or seven straight trips to the finals would probably do that to you right yeah yeah (laughs) Um, yeah, I mean, part of my skepticism also is that like the Cavs entered last season saying we're going to cut back on LeBron's minutes, and then he averaged almost tw- thirty-eight minutes a game. Like I, mm. you know, it, it's lip service from them. So we'll see what happens there. Nikias, let's move on to the Detroit Pistons because. You know, the Cavs are the most interesting team in terms of, like, the title chase and what happens with LeBron and all that stuff. But, like, the Detroit Pistons are sneaky fascinating. Because last year, you know, in 2015-2016, they played pretty damn well the whole year. They made it into the playoffs. They were the eight seed. Cleveland swept them, but they were at least, like, feisty and competitive and seemed like they were a team on the rise. Then last year, Reggie Jackson's hurt, you know, dealing with knee tendonitis for a lot of the year looks like a shell of himself. Andre Drummond, though, he was healthy. He just kind of stagnated. And Moritz, Sarah, and I have talked about this before. I want to get your take here. You know, they the Pistons got to a point, reportedly, according to Zach Lowe, where they were so disenchanted with him, they started shopping him heavily heading into the trade deadline. Uh, they just didn't find anything that they thought was a fair value for him. They shopped him again this summer. Again, couldn't find what they deemed to be a fair value. What do you expect from Drummond this year? Do you think he's going to bounce back? Or do you think this is just who he is? Um, I think it's a little bit of both. Uh, as far as him on defense, I just don't think he has the IQ or the motor to really be as positive as he can be. He mm-hmm. has quick hands. He obviously has the length and athleticism, but he just floats. And I'm not sure how much of that is correctable. 
But um, I think he'll be a little better this year because healthy Reggie Jackson, they should be able to get the pick and roll going a little bit more. Mm -hmm. um, the surgery that Drummond had to kind of help with his breathing and his sleeping, that should give him an extra boost of energy. That should help him on both ends. Uh, I'm just not sure if he can get to the next level because you kind of need him to be a DeAndre Jordan type guy, just roll to the rim, take the rim on the other end. But he doesn't really have those defensive instincts that on offense he's getting – Dwight Howard level post touches mm -hmm. for whatever reason. <laughs> right. And, and I don't know. If I mean if he commits to a role, I still think he could be one of the better centers in the East, if not the league. But I just it's hard to see it right now. Yeah, I mean it <laughs> as you said, you know, the Pistons I feel like when Stan Van Gundy took over, there was the hope that like, oh, you know, Stan Van Gundy had Dwight Howard in Orlando, and that's when Dwight became a three-time Defensive Player of the Year. And, like, Drummond's just going to follow that role. They're both, like, limited offensive players. They can just gobble the boards, block a couple shots per game. Uh, so then, like, Stan Van Gundy tried to force Drummond out of his comfort zone a little bit and tried to make him expand his offensive repertoire, which he, you know, one of the criticisms about Dwight Howard is that, like, he just never became that type of a player like he just did post-ups and pick and rolls and that's it um right so like drummond you know instead of just offensive rebound dunk offensive rebound dunk they tried to and they've been trying to force the post-up game but it's just been so brutally inefficient so now it sounds like van gundy this year is just like all right just get back to doing what you do well like i don't care that's <laughs> fine uh just pick and roll offensive rebound re just rebound in general and block shots so I'm pretty interested to see what happens with Drummond this year. I think the Pistons are not even the low-key, just like a obvious blow-it-up candidate at the trade deadline this year if things go south. Um, Sarah, I mean, part of Drummond's struggles, I think, are, as Nikias mentioned, are partially attributed to Reggie Jackson, who he played, I think, 50, 52 games last year, uh, missed the first month of the season because he had procedures on his knee and his thumb, his knee continued to bother him, shut him down at different points throughout the year. And even when he was playing, he just didn't quite look healthy. He was a little bit hobbled. Um, really affected him defensively, which I think also probably contributed to Drummond's struggles on that end. Like, he was just being put in so many disadvantageous situations that, you know, you could only ask a guy to, like, roll over and cover someone who blew by you so many times before you just <laughs> stop giving a damn. Um, so do you think Reggie Jackson has a chance of bouncing back to like the, you know, I, I don't want to say all-star caliber player because I don't think he was there in 2015-16, but like he was an above average starting point guard. Do you think he can get back to that level this year? Yeah, I think, you know, Reggie, as long as he's healthy, he should be able to get back to being the player that he was before. Uh, even last year, uh, he was in the 70th percentile as a pick-and-roll ball handler and 87th percentile isolation scorer. So, I mean, the ability is still there. Um, so he just needs to be healthy. And unfortunately with him, it's also sometimes, I think, an attitude thing or a mentality mm -hmm. thing. You know, he does get unhappy quickly. But if the health is there, he'll be all right. And, and theoretically, you know, it should help Drummond, but... As the Caius mentioned, it's that that also needs to be a systematic thing. There needs to be a focus on trying to get them into pick and roll more often, because 
whether he's been healthy or not, they've they've yeah they've gone way too many times to the pick. Uh, sorry, the post up well with Drummond mm -hmm. in, in favor of that over pick and roll, and they need to shift that a little bit. Like twenty seven percent of of Drummond's offense last year was post up. Oh my and god! He, he was uh, in a dreadful, dreadful percentile for that. Fifty-seven. Uh, he was fifty-seventh for pick and roll, and he was twenty-seventh for. Uh, I'm sorry, nineteenth. Oh my god! Nineteenth as a post-up scorer. So oh. they gotta Jesus. just get away from that. He has a nice-looking hook shot, but but they're just it's not working. They gotta yeah. get away from it. Wow! Shout out to any Pistons fans who watched all 82 games last year and had to labor <laughs> through 27 percent of offensive or Andre Drummond's offense being post ups. Jesus! Uh, luckily, more the Pistons, you know, did add two. Well, one definitely above average defensive player, and then another guy who has that potential. Uh, they traded away Marcus Morris to get Avery Bradley. Because they traded away Marcus Morris, there is now a vacancy at the three. Stanley Johnson, the number eight pick from two years ago, figures to fill that role. He's been kind of a disappointment. We mentioned him when we did the Southeast podcast with Alana in reference to Justice Winslow and how both of their career arcs have kind of followed the same you know, disappointing uh, trend so far. And now they both enter kind of a make-or-break third season, so... Johnson, like, he profiles as an above-average defender, complimentary yeah. scorer. Um, we don't know why he fell into Stan Van Gundy's doghouse last year, but he most certainly did. So now that he has this opportunity to move into the starting lineup, what do you expect from him? Just improved play overall. Maybe some sort of signal from him that he actually wants to be there <laughs> because whenever he hit the court it, it, he took a back seat a lot and if that was by design and if that design is going to continue i actually hope he just looks at, at stan and goes you know what i'm i'm actually going to do something else here you can pull me afterwards but what i'm going to do is pretty good uh, he's got great size great athleticism so what i'm looking for him is to whenever the opportunity presents itself just get the ball to the rack somehow just pound the ball on the floor get it to the hole see what happens and if the defense starts playing him for the drive then begin taking the pull-up shot i mean look at arizona he didn't shoot well i don't remember the percentage but his form is decent there is some potential there for him to be like a inside scorer and outside scorer and he needs to dig into that well a little bit defensively speaking you're absolutely right the great size and athleticism that i mentioned before it's just a, a huge asset on that side of the floor i, I think he, his execution was off and that's probably what bothered stan mm -hmm. stan is a perfectionist mm -hmm. and that sometimes that's not a positive thing um so i'm definitely willing to give stanley johnson the benefit of the doubt and say you know what i'm gonna i'm going to go all in on you kid for this season you are the de facto starter at the three 82 games if you want it you just Prove to me that you deserve to hang on to it. That's the mentality I'm going into camp with. Yeah, I mean, I forget where I read this, uh, but there was some article, I think it was maybe with Keith Langwell of the Pistons website, where he was talking to Stanley about kind of the slow start to his career. And he was saying, like, at this point, I need to basically decide, like, do I want to be this like 25 point per game scorer? And do I want to keep trying to force that role for myself? Probably at the expense of running a foul of Stan Van Gundy again, or like, do I embrace this role 
as my as my team's like premier wing defender, complimentary scorer, just like fill you know fill in the gaps basically. Like you have yeah. Reggie Jackson, you have Andre Drummond, you have Tobias Harris, you also now have Avery Bradley. Like you don't need Stanley Johnson to put up twenty points a game. Like if you're getting eight to ten out of him, but he's you know shutting down or playing good defense against the Kawhi Leonard's, Kevin Durant's, LeBron James of the world, like that's a win for Detroit. So. It's like it's up to him whether he embraces that role or not, but like that's what Detroit should be hoping to see out of him this year, at least in my estimation. Yeah, and it also doesn't bode well if you want to be a twenty-five point scorer that your career field goal percentage is thirty-six point seven. <laughs> right, so doesn't help. <laughs> might have to force the issue on that one, Stanley. Just just accept the role. Yeah. I mean. Yeah, I mean, I, look, it turned out great for Trevor Ariza. Trevor Ariza was in a similar position back in the day. Like yeah. he didn't know what to do with his NBA career. Like when the Knicks got him, I mean, of course, the Knicks didn't know what to do with his NBA career as well. So, but he was trying to be this absurd scorer at times, t- taking weird ass shots and just playing out of the offense, and it just where he just went, "What the hell are you doing?" And he was forcing it every damn game at some point and then he came to orlando he started recognizing okay there are other components at play and then he just kept leveling up essentially to every team that he got to and now he's a fully uh, developed three and d guy who is capable of hitting the glass and also doing you know x and y c things here and there uh, it's 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 that that type of guy you have to look for. You don't look for the Tracy McGrady's or the LeBrons or whatever because you're not going to be that type of player or, unless you're a freaking superstar who's drafted number one. So, yeah, look at Trevor Reese. Look at the complimentary players. Hell, look at Ron Artest. Mm. He's a similar body like yeah. Stanley Johnson is. Why not? Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of the trouble with a lot of these kids coming out of college is – Especially if you're one of the top ten picks and like you put up, yeah. you know, big numbers in college, like you're used to that role. You think those are the expectations that for you, and then you come into the NBA and you're like the third, fourth, fifth option on your team, and you're like, oh shit, like what? You don't need me to score twenty points a night. Like, what am I supposed to do? And then you look at a guy like Otto Porter, who you know we mentioned him in the Southeast Pod, like people were ready to crown him a bust after the first two years because he didn't put up big numbers and now he like fell into this role as like i don't need to be his takeover scorer i'm behind john wall and bradley beal i'm gonna let them do the hard lifting on offense i'm gonna play good defense i'm gonna turn into a a, an elite three-point shooter i'm gonna play you know just fill in the gaps and then like i suddenly have a hundred million dollar contract yeah i was just about (laughs) to say then i get a max yeah Yeah. Um, Nikaias, before we move on from the Pistons, let's talk about Avery Bradley a little bit. Uh, he was, you know, he, he's been an all-defensive fixture for a while now. Uh, slightly undersized for a two-guard, but for whatever reason, he's just such a little bulldog that he, it doesn't matter. He, guys who tower <laughs> over him by six inches still get frustrated by him. Uh, so he replaces Contavious Caldwell-Pope, who left for the Lakers, uh, what role do you see Bradley playing this year, and do you think he's a better fit for this Pistons team than KCP was? I do think he's going to be a better fit for the Pistons because he's a respected shooter. Mm-hmm. I was actually looking at KCP's numbers the other day for an article I was working on, 
and he has never shot above 35% from three. And it's kind of interesting that he has the three and D title mm-hmm. without ever shooting league average from three. Avery Bradley is going to boost that immediately. Um, he's a better shooter. He has a little bit of juice in pick and roll now. You still can't really trust him to run plays for you, but he can attack bent defenses. I think that'll help keep the chain moving a little more than KCP could. Um, he's an obvious upgrade defensively. You're going to miss the size, but he's so tenacious on ball, and I'm not sure how much it's actually going to matter. I think just his overall toughness in general, I think it's going to be a big boost to that locker room. You know, they kind of went through some issues last year. I think he'll play a solid role in that department as well. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't see how it's not going to end well. You know, he's, He is entering a contract year, so it's he's got a lot at stake as well. Uh but, you know, it's going to take pressure off of Reggie Jackson. He's not going to have to defend the best. Uh, well, I guess he didn't have to last year with KCP anyway. But it's, you know, same idea. He's He can be on the weaker of the two backcourt options on defense. As you mentioned, Bradley is a better three-point shooter, so that's only going to help because spacing could be an issue, especially, you know, Drummond <laughs> is not shooting three-pointers. Tobias Harris, <laughs> right. Reggie Jackson, they can hit him, but they're not. neither one of those guys is elite by any means so spacing could be a concern it was last year for Detroit so having a guy like Bradley in there is gonna should only help in that regard let's move on now more it's time (laughs) you ready (laughs) not sure what the hell you're talking about Ryan all right Morton, it is time for your former team, the Chicago Bulls, and we got to start with Doug Collins, who they hired as a special advisor on Tuesday. What the hell was that all about, Mort? I have a theory. I'm so excited. So, let's say you're on a diet, and Lord knows I've been on my fair share of diets. (laughs) When you break it the first time, and you go get that ice cream or a cupcake or whatever then an hour later you're going to be like well you know what screw it i kind of broke the rules right i might as well go for the coke yeah. <laughs> go for the coke and at dinner you're like oh, man it's just been such a messed up day so you know what let's just call it a cheat day i'm gonna get a pizza the next day you're gonna feel like all crappy and bloated and you're gonna go Oh, that wasn't good. That wasn't good at all. Oh, no, I have some leftovers. You know what? I should really get this pizza and just be done with it, right? Because then it's out of my life. (laughs) So you go grab the leftovers. And the pizza's done. And you go like, well, technically I cheated today. So that's another cheat day. And then this cycle, it just continues until you've gained 50 pounds again. (laughs) And that's... Basically, how I would describe Gar Foreman's job as a general manager for the Bulls. That was an excellent analogy. Didn't very well done. Didn't really answer the question of how Doug Collins fits in, but that's fine. <laughs> it's it actually does, Brian, because Doug Collins was that slice of pizza. Oh, I see. Okay. Well done. It made no sense yep. whatsoever. You should have just thrown it out because it was no longer relevant and. It was aged, Brian. <laughs> that is true. Uh, yeah, I mean, so you're not on board with Doug Collins being quote-unquote woke, as he said he was? I think when someone tries to really put the emphasis on the fact that they're woke means that they are so far removed from being woke <laughs> yeah. that it's, yeah, 
Doug Collins is 66 years old. About five years ago, I believe five years ago, he said something along the lines that he would blow his brains out yep. if he was forced to, you know, look at analytics. Yep. Which is just, I mean, this is a match made in heaven because the bulls and analytics, oh, good lord, no. I mean, you know, if analytics would have proven that Rashawn Rondo and Dwayne Wade were bad fits to Jimmy Butler. And you know what? We couldn't have that now, could no. we? Because, no, three alphas. Yep, three alphas for the win, right? Yep. Screw, the, screw the Warriors. Screw the three-point ev- evolution. <laughs> Let's get our superstar, a guy who was better than Derrick Rose in his prime, and s- surround him with beautiful, fitting talent like Dwayne Wade and Rashawn Rondo. And then, one year later, let's say, you know what? It didn't work. We better restart everything. People do not recognize just how badly they messed up in 2016. There was Seth Curry getting $6 million total on two years in Dallas. I on this very podcast said he would he should be getting seven a year. Yep. You remember that yep. one, Brian? Yep. He was there. You could have gotten him for peanuts, and he would have been a better player to fit alongside Butler than Rondo and Wade combined. You could have just removed Wade and Rondo from the equation entirely, and it would have been a better look. You could have gotten out and scoured the D League or teams overseas. Hell, you could have probably signed me to some extent, and it would still have been better than the influence it brought from Rashawn Rondo and Dwayne Wade. The Bulls do this thing where they compound mistakes by just topping themselves off. They just make another mistake that's grander, worse, and just more perverse from every single one they make. So I'm really looking forward to seeing how messed up things are getting by 2020 or 2021 <laughs> and we know that it's still Gar Foreman and John Paxson and Doc Collins running the show because new blood no no not with the Bulls that's that's not how things work in Chicago and you know while we're at that subject the fans apparently are all wrong because John Paxson was on the radio the other day and oh, he was yeah, defending was... Gar, saying Gar had done a terrific job and the Bulls had grown this, grown accustomed to the fact that everything they did, he said this sarcastically, was wrong. Right. No, John, it's not sarcastic. Everything you <laughs> effing do is wrong. Literally everything you do is wrong. The one good thing you've done is trade for Quincy Pondexter while receiving a second round pick. That was that was somewhat wise, something you should have done a long time ago, obviously, but we can't expect that you are more than five years behind because, yeah, that would be illogical. So, yeah, there you go. Look up. forward to the future of the Chicago Bulls, everyone. It's going to be glorious if you want to look at train wrecks and dead bodies and everything just burning to the ground in a fire so holy that God himself would not recognize it. There you go. That's Doug Collins' impact on the Chicago Bulls. Good. I will say, uh, around the same time he had his anti-analytics rant, he also talked about how sensitive NBA players are today and how he couldn't connect with any of them and he had to tread very lightly when talking to any of them. So, oh, then he'll fit in beautifully because that's the description of Gar Foreman. Right. So that's beautiful. So yeah. in one sense, it might be good that he's not dealing with players on a day-to-day basis anymore. Uh, but in the other, I mean, you know, I don't want to 
judge the guy, like maybe his views in the NBA have evolved over the past five years as he's seen the league evolve so much, but... Right, because old guys usually, <laughs> right. you know, yes. become more aware as they age instead of... Yeah, just look at Trump, for example. <laughs> the, the openness of older men. Yeah. Oh, boy. All right, uh, let's move on to Nikola Miritich, Sarah, who remains unsigned with trade camp starting in the next few days. What do you think's going on there? Do you think they are going to re-sign him? Should they re-sign him? Or do they think Laurie Markkinen is just his replacement? Really, for this entire segment, I've been just trying to figure out, like, I know visually, if people could see me, I would just do a shrug, but I'm trying to figure out what the audio replacement of a shrug is. I don't know how to convey that. Um, Maybe a So, yeah, I don't know, and that's all I've really seen going across the NBA Twitter community, too. People saying it is strange. I don't know what to tell you. Um, You assume that a deal will get done, but I don't know, maybe he's unhappy. Uh, They may not be thrilled with him. Um, Maybe a combination of the two. I really don't know. But I want to go back for a second to... I had to chuckle a minute ago when Morton was talking. Just for some reason, the way he said Chicago um, (laughs) (laughs) was reminiscent of Sean Cottery and the Untouchables to me. (laughs) So I feel like we really, if we wouldn't need to like sell off our homes after we got sued, we should take that sound clip from the Untouchables. (laughs) That's the Chicago way. And then we could just throw that over every time the Bulls make a move, pretty much. Um, but there's that great quote, too. Idea. What's the quote? Like, they put one of yours in a hospital, you put one of theirs in the morgue. Morgue, yeah. yeah. You could do, like, okay, so y'all want to trade us some guys who haven't really proven they can play in the NBA yet? We'll trade you Jimmy Butler. <laughs> That's the Chicago. <laughs> That's really all I've got. That's fantastic. Um, this segment is yep. the best one we've had so far in any team preview. The guys, let's see if we can get things back on the rails here and talk about the Bulls' point guards of the future, of whom they have many. Uh, within the past year, they have traded for at least three in Jerry and Grant, Cameron Payne, and Chris Dunn. The problem is all of them suck. Uh, do you think they have any hope? of any of those guys developing into an above-average point guard? Or are they going to be looking in the draft next spring for their fourth point guard of the future? Um. Well, let's go ahead and pull the plug on Cameron Payne. <laughs> um, he is just not good at anything, which is odd, because I thought he was going to be a pretty solid backup point guard when he got drafted. But... I don't know, it just didn't work in OKC. He didn't really have a chance in Chicago. And then when he did, apparently <laughs> even his own teammates were like, who is this guy and what does he do? <laughs> um, I, I'm pretty much off of Cameron Payne. Um, I'm kind of intrigued with Jerry and Grant if he actually gets to play with some spacers and actually gets to run, pick, and roll. I'm kind of interested to see if he could be somewhat productive. I think Chris Dunn's your best bet because if nothing else, he'll be a plus defender across a couple of positions. Um, jury's still out on what he could do on offense. He, run the pick, he ran the pick-and-roll well as the year went on, but he still wasn't very good at it overall. So, I don't know. Chicago just needs to get some shooting on the floor. It's kind of hard to judge any of their players because the floor was so cramped. 
Yeah, and but, um, and it's not going to get any better this year. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't want to throw him under the bus here because he does good work for Bleacher Report. But Jonathan Wasserman, we he did a piece recently where he like, I think he called it like reviewing the receipts or something like that. So he basically just went over um, what he said about like a lot of the top prospects in recent years. And that we we stumbled upon his big board the year Cameron Payne came out in the draft, and he had Cameron Payne number two overall. So, oh no, yeah, that was a little bit of a miss. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it goes to like it speaks to how highly regarded he was coming into the league. It it, it is surprising to see him, like you know, he he's already basically resigned to a career in Europe once his rookie contract runs out, which is just. It's a big fall from grace for him, but the Bulls will learn in about three seasons. Remember, five seasons apart, right? Sure. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That sounds that sounds about right. So, Mort, I think the most interesting or hilarious, depending on your interpretation, uh, storyline with the Bulls this year is Dwayne Wade and the hostage situation there. Especially now that Carmelo is freed, we have three members of Team Banana Boat, all of whom are going to be contending for a championship. The fourth member of Team Banana Boat is on a team that is trying to lose 60-plus games, and he's 35 years old, and they're paying him $24 million to do it. Uh, John Paxson has been adamant and saying that they are willing to buy him out, but it has to be advantageous to the franchise. In other words, he's going to need to cough up a lot of money. They're not just going to pay him all $24 million to walk and sign with a contender. So how do you see this situation being resolved? Do you think they ultimately agree on a buyout? How much money does Wade need to give up? Or do you think they're literally just going to hold him hostage all year? Dwayne wanted 20, reportedly. 20 of the 24 million paid out. Mm. So I imagine the Bulls started up... Well, knowing the Bulls, they're financially driven. right? So they probably started out with like 1 million because... I wouldn't even be surprised if they insulted anyone with that offer. <laughs> no, they probably said something like half, maybe 15. Uh, so if that, if we assume that's the truth, that they offer 15 and Dwayne said 20, then I think something could be reached before training camp. If by some re- if by some way the Bulls offered like 10 and they are that far apart, then I could see the Bulls taking the mindset that, you know what, then we need, should get a bang for our buck and then just run him into the ground for 30 odd <laughs> games because if there's one thing they just don't want is not getting anything from their money wasted or not mm-hmm. and yeah that that's probably going to be the solution um i would advise Dwayne wade if he was listening to just get out of this hellhole yeah. immediately because now that his friend and buddy carmelo anthony is on Okay, see, might make sense. They could use some guard depth, just saying. Yeah. And a team with Russell Westbrook, Paul George, and 50% banana boat, that's not bad. That would be pretty entertaining. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to say because we just don't know how much the Bulls have offered or what Wade is demanding if 20 million. Well, Wade Wade reportedly is demanding 20. Yeah, that's too much. That's ridiculous. He should, if he's. He should just split the difference, take 12, call it a day. Like, that's still $12 million he's stealing from a franchise not to play for them. Yeah, but at the end of the day, though, I kind of like the fact that he's sticking it to him. I guess, yeah, I mean, whatever, it's not your yeah. money. 
Yeah, but here's the thing. The Bulls were stupid enough in the first place That's to true. sign him to two years. And to give him a player Why option not? instead of a team option. Exactly. Yeah. Exercise it. Get get that money, D-Wade. I get it. That's true. I mean, if, if I laugh at general managers taking advantage of other general managers' incompetence, I should definitely enjoy players doing the same. So absolutely more power to the players when it comes to these i mean i i hope he gets all 24 i hell i wouldn't even mind if he stuck around just to prove a point <laughs> like he could stick around all year long and just look at them with evil eyes whenever they meet in the tunnel and just say 24 baby yeah 24 <laughs> after he hits another game winning shot and tanks their lottery chances <laughs> oh that would be glorious just, just look at how much hatred i have for the bulls right now yeah just, yeah that if that somehow messed something up for him, I'd be all good. That's what like good. that's really what I'm banking on. I'm banking on him like actively trying as hard as he can to win games, which the Bulls don't want to do, and like forcing their hand. Like every every game he wins for them, that's another one million dollars they have to shell out in the buyout talks. Well, he, yeah, I I wrote a piece on FanRag about maybe you should actually just play Wade because. Hell, it might even make sense for the tank right. because right. at 35, inefficient, he didn't even play a lick of defense. I don't think he's adding much to the win total. And if he's just going to chuck opportunities away and just waste away possessions and, and give up open layups, I mean, that's going to be more power to the tank as well. So there are many ways to dissect this one. Uh, bottom line is everything is fucked up in Chicago. <laughs> yeah, basically, that that's the moral of the story. Let's move on to another team that uh, things are looking rather bleak for them. The Indiana Pacers traded Paul George this summer uh, for Victor Oladipo and Domantas Sabonis. Uh, signed a couple of veterans to because they are afraid of actually tanking and being bad. So they really, really wanted to be that 10th seed in the East. Sarah, I think the big reason of hope in Indiana and the big reason to watch this team, if there is one is Miles Turner, who, for whatever reason, you know, the term unicorn has been thrown around a lot the last couple of years, thanks to Carl Anthony Towns, Joel Embiid, Kristaps Porzingis, Nikola Jokic. Miles Turner is not really in that conversation yet. I'm not really sure why, because he has a similar skill set. So do you think this is the year Miles Turner forces his way into that conversation? Let's all hope so. Yeah, let's hope they just, like, force their offense through him not necessarily just throwing it to him on the block but you know pick and roll pick and pop the guy's got some junk in his game for sure shoots 70 percent within five feet of the rim only lebron deandre jordan and dwight had a better percentage on more attempts last year um 42.7 from the mid-range was the ninth best in the league behind six guys who were all-stars um including my buddy Kawhi and Chris Paul. <laughs> um, ended up shooting 34.8% from three. Um, got really hot in December and January, though. Um, so he definitely can shoot that shot 38% above the break, so he's not confined to corners or anywhere. You can put him, you can pop him out. Uh, he also has versatility <coughs> on the defensive end, so you know can move his feet pretty well. 2.1 blocks was third best in the league per game last year. So <laughs> the guy is, like you said, he's there. They're one bright spark in the dark right now. So yeah. you, you got to imagine he's going to get the ball a lot. One would hope. I mean, that's literally 
between him and this next guy, Victor Oladipo, are the, really the only two reasons to watch this team this year. So Nikias Oladipo, number two pick in 2013, has kind of been a tease throughout his four-year NBA career. Like, you can tell the potential is there for him to be a 25-5 and guy. He just hasn't quite gotten over that hump. But now he goes back to Indianapolis. He played his college ball an hour away in Bloomington, Indiana. He's going to be, you know, he's going to a team that, aside from Miles Turner, lacks established scoring options. They're, you know, they're starting a rebuild. Do you think this is the year where Victor Oladipo really hits his groove? I do think this is going to be the year he hits his groove. Um, The Pacers are not going to be good. I think we can all agree with that. Yes. But I do think, depending on who they start, if they throw out Collison and Bogdan, alongside Miles Turner, um, Thaddeus Young, I think there's going to be enough spacing on the floor for Oladipo to get to the rim. Um, he shot a career high at the rim last year. So I think letting him get the ball more in pick and roll, um, letting him slash to the basket, I think he's definitely primed for a big year individually. Yeah, I mean, he was just so inefficiently used next last year next to Russell Westbrook through no fault of his own. It's just they weren't all that compatible in terms of skill sets. And with Westbrook going off for 30-point triple-doubles every night, you know, you're not going to favor. You're not going to try to get Oladipo going at the expense of Westbrook. So, as you said, Nikias, the opportunity is there for him. Whether he can run with it or not remains to be seen, but... I hope he can because I, you know, I think there is a talented player still in there, and I don't think it. I think it's too early to give up on him completely. Um, but yeah. you know, you got if he's the big prize you got back from Paul George for Indiana fans' sake, shit. I hope he's he can live up to those expectations because otherwise that trade's only going to look worse. Especially he's entering the first year of a four-year, eighty-four million dollar contract, so that could be an albatross if he doesn't hit that level quickly. All right. As you said, we've seen the flashes. I think in the second half of 2015-16, he put up like 24-4 and four mm-hmm. to close out the year. And then he ended up getting flipped to OKC, and he's basically a spot-up shooter. So I do think the potential's there, and we're going to see what he's made of with these touches now. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, more, Nikias mentioned how point guard's kind of an unsettled situation at Indiana. Uh, they signed Darren Collison in free agency and then traded for Corey Joseph from the Raptors, Sarah's boy, Corey Joseph. So how do you see uh, the division of touches and minutes being divided between those two guys? Probably somewhat equally, even though I hope that Corey Joseph is going to get the bulk of the minutes. I think he's the better player, the better defender. He's probably not the best shooter, but he's got great size. He can get into the lane. He can draw fouls. Um, and I think he's hungry after spending so much time in Toronto playing backup to Kyle. Mm. Uh, Darren has, has... This is his second tenure, if I'm not mistaken, with Indiana. So he probably knows the team. He knows the organization. So he probably has the inside track. But having said that, I just feel he's a little bit more shaky. He's not that big. He's six foot. He's very slight. And... Joseph just seems like he's younger, more athletic, has so much more going for him going forward, and they're rebuilding a little bit at least. So I, I would go that route, but it's probably going to be like 26, 22, something like that in men's division, I could I could probably imagine. Yeah, I mean, Collison wasn't terrible in Sacramento last year, so... 
No, no, he's he's been decent, yeah. but again, that's Sacramento stats. Yeah, that's true. Sacramento <laughs> stats doesn't really translate to different teams. So, uh, and 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 Joseph played for the Raptors after all, a, a deep playoff team. Yeah, I I think I think he deserves. It's his time to get the keys to a franchise. I would love to see him be the starting point guard for a full season and getting 32, 34 minutes a game. I think he could do wonders in that role. Yeah, I mean, he filled in for Kyle Lowry toward the end of the last regular yep. season when Kyle had the wrist injury, and he you know, he performed admirably in that role. So I think a large part will just come down to which of the two plays better alongside Oladipo in training camp in the preseason, which is the better shooter of the two, because Oladipo is not a strong shooter, and you're going to need some spacing there. Um, oh, then that's Collison, yeah. obviously. I mean, 42% from downtown, so, yeah. Right, so I, I would not be totally shocked to see Collison start, but I think Joseph will, I, I think between the three of those guys, that's the majority of the minutes at the one and the two. Um, I would agree. Sarah, as I mentioned a few minutes ago, the Pacers infuriatingly did not just embrace a full tank. They decided... <laughs> They needed, you know, they wanted to get some veteran help around to keep them competitive enough to win like 32 games. So they signed Bojan Bogdanovic to a two-year, 21 million dollar deal. They still have Thaddeus Young floating around. Do you think those guys are going to keep them basically in like the worst version of NBA purgatory, where they're too good to get a bottom three pick, but they are? not nearly good enough to be competitive for a playoff spot? Or do you think they actually have a chance to sneak into the playoffs? <laughs> I thought you were going to say uh, a chance to sneak into the bottom three. <laughs> That's an interesting way of phrasing that. Uh, the East is pretty bad, but I don't, I don't quite think they're going to be able to slip into the playoffs. Um, I mean, Bogdanovich is a, is a nice pickup. He might be able to shoot pretty well if they get that Turner obviously they have a great threat in Turner as a role man so you know there might be enough gravity there for him to get some good looks but I don't I don't really think they have to worry too much about playing too well yeah you want to be in the bottom three but oh they're gonna have some hot competition <laughs> for that with uh within their own division and uh you know, we talked about Atlanta, although I'm still kind of bullish on Atlanta being a little better than we expect. I know that's crazy, but... They got the... I mean, the Suns are probably going to be very bad. The Knicks, now that they've traded Carmelo Anthony, are going to be very bad. It, Orlando? It, yeah, Orlando's just perpetually misrun, and we're going to find out which creative way they find to not play Aaron Gordon at the four, and then they'll win 28 games as usual, so... Yeah. Point Gordon? Yeah. Uh, competition will be stiff for Indiana to be a bottom three team. I really expect they'll be like 10 or 11 in the East and regret that decision immensely in the coming years. Let's wrap this thing up with the Milwaukee Bucks. We're, we're going to end on a high note. I always try to save one interesting team for the last. The guy is... Giannis Antetokounmpo last year was his first year as the full-time ball handler for Milwaukee. It was a smashing success. He ended second team All-NBA, second team All-Defensive. Basically looks like the NBA's next big thing. I mean, it's terrifying what this kid can do. So what do you expect from him this year? And do you think he could actually sneak into the MVP conversation? 
Um, I do. I think I expect him to finish like top five in MVP voting. I don't know if I want to give it to him because I think, actually, I don't know. I haven't put too much all into the MVP actually. Um, I'm not sure who the favorite is this year, but I think Giannis will definitely be up there. Um, what impressed me the most watching him last year, once we got to the playoffs, and he started abusing people in the post, yeah. and I was like, oh no. <laughs> Like, we know he can't shoot, but, I mean, he could get to the rim from the three-point line in two steps. Yeah. And now he's starting to post up guys. It's like, okay, it's really not going to matter now. So what are what are the teams going to do? Um, yeah, so I guess the next step is seeing just how much he's going to improve that jumper or and if he can continue building counters in the post when he gets switched. Well, everyone's smaller than him. So, I don't know. I'm excited for him. Yeah, I mean, it seems like – so, you know, sometimes you're watching a guy and all of a sudden it seems like it just clicks for him. Like, he, he realizes how good he is and that he could, like, beat mm-hmm. everyone. It's like in superhero movies when they, like, suddenly realize the extent of their powers and then they just start, like, beating up all the bad guys. <laughs> that's that's kind of what I felt like Giannis's 2016-17 season was. Like, he, he's like, oh, oh, okay, I could do this. Like, I could just really truly be a top... 10 even top 5 NBA player right now and I'm just gonna absolutely dominate the game on both ends of the court and it like it's you know with Jabari Parker he's gonna miss a lot of the season uh recovering from his torn ACL so outside of Giannis and Chris Middleton like they don't have much in terms of established scoring depth so if Milwaukee is gonna be a top 4 top 5 seed in the east like Giannis is gonna need to even improve upon his numbers from last year which I expect, fully expect him to do. So, uh, like, I'm really excited. I mean, the guys like you, I haven't, you know, like, sat down and poured over the MVP race. Uh, Kawhi Leonard stands out as a guy who I think is probably going to enter the year as the favorite. But, like, a lot of the ones from last year, you know, Russ is now playing next to Paul George, Carmelo Anthony. Chris Paul is now playing next to James Harden. Like, a lot of talent has consolidated. So the top finishers from last year are all going to be competing with their own teammates for the award. So it feels like a guy like Kawhi or like Giannis, you know, who has to carry more of a load for his team, uh, that's where you're going to probably find your MVP this year. So, like, as you said, it would not surprise me at all if Giannis ends in the top five or shit, even the top three in the MVP race. Yeah, I think if they somehow win 50 games, I mean, he's going to be right there. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Uh, Let's talk about our boy Chris Middleton. You and I both have a gigantic crush on him because... Mm. uh, Heist is Nikaias. Oh, there we go. (laughs) This is just the Chris Middleton podcast thing. Good. Uh, So I mentioned Jabari's going to be out for a lot of the year. Chris Middleton missed a lot of last season with a hamstring injury. Came back. Didn't put up... You know, he was limited in terms of his minutes, so he didn't put up the numbers he did in 2015-2016, but he's still just as impactful as a player. So do you think he can settle in as that sidekick role for Giannis? And here's an even hotter question. Do you think he's a better sidekick to Giannis than Jabari Parker? Yes, I do. Me too. He's more versatile. Um, He's a better shooter, simply put. And Giannis needs space because he's not the best shooter himself. Mm-hmm. Hopefully that will change as well. That that was one part I was actually missing from your, your guys' discussion about Giannis. Allegedly, he's really putting up the threes this summer. So if oh. he adds that element to his game, oh, he's... God. Game over. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. 
But so far, he needs the three ball uh, spacing a, a little bit more from others. Um, I know that Jabari started hitting it at a higher rate than before. So that's something. But, but Chris is just more of a natural shooter. Like when he comes off a screen, he's also a better ball handler. He can even post all of it. He's just multifaceted in a different way than Jabari. Jabari is more powerful and athletic going to the basket. Um, so I, I would say that Middleton just proved to be a better sidekick. Um, in regards to the year that I expect him to have, it's it's probably going to be a big year because, as you guys said, with Jabari out, and you don't really know, you're not getting a whole lot of volume from Tony Snell. I mean, he played damn near 30 minutes a game last season and didn't even break nine points a game. He's this three and D guy, Malcolm Brockton. Not that I was crazy about the Rookie of the Year award there. Still a very good player, good shooter, but not high volume. So I wouldn't be surprised at all to see Middleton sneak in 20, 21 points a game. Yeah, my I don't even know if it's a hot take, but my lukewarm take is that he's going to be an all-star this year. Oh, Brian. Always the bridesmaid, never the bride <laughs> for Middleton. You, you've posted about him being an all-star already? No, I'm going to be an all-star. I don't think he's going to be an all-star because I think the all-star game is a popularity contest, uh, which is unfortunate because I, I do think that he could realistically become one of that caliber, but mm-hmm. I don't think his name carries as much weight. I mean, I, you would be surprised how many people out there are like, Chris who? He is really an anonymous good player, which is mind-boggling to me, especially that we're writing 2017 and the internet is everywhere yeah. like yeah he's he's amazing well and people just never give him credit for it i mean he I, there's no way he'll be a starter but like coaches are the ones who select the reserves right yeah they are but still coaches i mean they're still gonna look at someone who killed you or had big games or whatever like this guy's just sneaky mm-hmm. he is sneaky he's one of those guys where you can we can you can watch a game and you can feel Oh, okay. He probably ended up with sixteen. Yeah. And then you look at the stat sheet, and he had twenty-seven. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And which is ironic as hell because there's a former Buck who did the, did the exact same thing, Glenn Big Dog Robinson. Mm. So they're pretty similar in that regard. Chris is just more of a shooter. Yeah. I don't know. I, I could see him sneaking in. I, I feel like. I mean, a just. I the, hope you're right. The talent that left the East this year, like we, you said, know, yeah, yeah, we we've talked <laughs> yeah. about it a lot. Like it's hard to figure out twelve guys who can make it. Uh, but maybe he won't make it in the game. I think an all-star caliber season is a realistic expectation for him. I hope I'm wrong. He deserves a good wedding. Yeah, he does. He does. <laughs> uh, Sarah, let's go back to the big men well here because the Bucks have a lot of them, and they have, they're pretty different in terms of what they can provide on the court. So they have Thon Maker, who they drafted 10th overall last year. Greg Monroe, who is on an expiring contract and who they have openly shopped for over a year now. Also, John Henson, who they woefully underutilize in years past. How do you see the division of front court touches shaking out this year? It's a little tricky because, as you said, they they are all a little different. <laughs> you know, they have different skills. They're all pretty darn long because you pretty much have to be to play Milwaukee. I think. Um, you know, Greg Monroe is a great pick and roll guy. Freaking 88th percentile, 1.23 points per possession. Oof. Um, you know, Thon can step out and shoot the three a little bit. Um, unfortunately, we didn't get to see him play a lot last year, but 
The guy made almost 38% of his three-point attempts on 74 attempts. So, uh, And then Henson's kind of a, a mixture. It's just rangy, long, can roll, can pop. I, I'm not sure how they're... I'm fascinated to see how they're going to break it up, honestly. Um, you know, theoretically, you could play Thon and, and Greg together if you wanted to space Thon out. But... I'm happy to see them keep bringing Monroe off the bench. I think that's the right move. But then mm -hmm. I just don't know how to split time with the other two. I really want to see Thon play more this year, but I don't know how they're going to do it. Yeah, it seems like they're pretty high on Thon's long-term upside as their center of the future next to Giannis for good reason. I, I think he has that type of potential. So I'm, you know, aside from Giannis and Middleton, he's the guy I'm most excited to watch this year at Milwaukee <laughs> to see, like, what he's added to his game over the off season, and if he's, you know, he was a string bean last year. Like if he started to fill out his frame a little bit more, because that'll go a long way toward, you know, I don't think he can withstand the pounding of playing thirty five minutes of center a night. But he weighs like two hundred pounds soaking wet. But you know, if he gets up to two twenty, two thirty, somewhere around there, you know, now now we're talking. Um, all right, Nikias, let's close out the Bucks. <laughs> by talking about the wrongful rookie of the year, Malcolm Brogdon, <laughs> who, who stole the award for both Dario Saric and Joel Abid, but that's neither here nor there. Uh, you know, kid came out of nowhere, second-round pick, had a shockingly good year, ended up displacing Matthew Dellavedova as, you know, kind of their de facto... Still small feet. Yeah, yeah. So what do you expect from him this year? Do you think he builds upon that campaign? Or was, you know, he was old, I think he was 23, 24 already when he was in his rookie year. So, you know, it's not a guy who's 19 who's going to grow substantially. Do you think this is basically, I don't want to say his ceiling, but like, is he already close to his ceiling? Or do you still think he has a lot of room to develop? Um, I think he has a little bit of room. Uh, I'm not, he's not the most creative ball handler. And I think you just kind of have to have that. So I'm not sure what his upside is as a scorer. But um, I think Sarah alluded to it. You want to see more volume from, no, she's talking about Thonmaker. I want to see more volume from, um, from Brockton. I think that's really the big step. Um, getting trusted a little bit more to run some action. But for the most part, you know, Giannis is the de facto, the real point guard mm -hmm. there. So just spotting it up off of him and attacking hard closeouts if they come, that's really all you need from him. Yeah. I mean, as you said, like, they don't need him to be a full-time point guard at all. And the fact that they've – I just love that Milwaukee has, like, fully embraced Giannis' point guard and is like, we don't actually need another, like, even – you know, part-time ball handler on the floor. Like, let's just space the floor out with three shooters next to Giannis, and then Thon could even hit some threes, too. Like, it's just, it's really refreshing that they have, you know, as part of the ongoing positional revolution in the NBA, like, they are, they're putting their own stamp on it, and I think it's the best way to utilize Giannis and make sure you're not wasting his immense skill set and talent. So... I'm excited to see if Brogdon can, as you alluded to, Nikias, become more of a high-volume player. I think they're going to need that with Parker out. Um, I mean, <laughs> I I joked about, uh, I forget where I wrote this, but 
oh, in a fan-sided thing, I think, about um, whether if he comes off the bench for whatever reason, if he's going to steal sixth man of the year from Dario Saric as well. We'll see. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see about that. But no, I think he's going to be a, a fixture in the starting lineup. I think he's going to play pretty well there and be a nice third option until Parker comes back. So let's move on now and give our predictions for how the division shakes out one through five. Mort, I'm going to start with you. I know you have the Bulls number one, but how's two through five? <laughs> no, no. But I'm still going to surprise you, though. I have the Bucks number one. Whoa, really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. All right. Because, like I said previously, LeBron is going to coast. They're not concerned about record. Isaiah Thomas is going to miss a whole chunk of games, and Derek Rose is their starting point guard in the foreseeable future. So, yeah, the Bucks. Bucks I believe one. in the Bucks. Huh. Okay. Bucks one, Cavs two, Pistons three, Pacers four, and dead last, or even dead on arrival, Bulls. <laughs> right where they belong, the Chicago Bulls. Right, right where they belong. Yeah. Yep. Uh, Sarah, how about you? I was actually toying with doing the same thing, and wow. Morton took all the intrigue out of it. Um, Sorry. Disrespect, guys. <laughs> Damn. Uh, do I want to bite the bullet? Yeah, screw it. Come I'll, join I'll, me. I'll go with you, Mort. Yeah. Wow. Bucks, yeah. Cavs, Pistons, Basers, Bulls. Wow. Nikias, bring some reason back into this podcast. <laughs> I'm going to be boring. I'll go Cleveland at one. Thank you. I'll go Bucks two, Pistons three, Pacers four, and the team in Chicago. <laughs> the team that shall not be named. Uh, yeah, I'm taking Nikias's order as well. I, I'm not that concerned with. Again, I just think LeBron's putting up an fu campaign to say goodbye to Cleveland. So, Mort, how many teams from this division do you see making the playoffs? <clears throat> Here's the problem because I don't remember, <laughs> right? Like what we've said in previous episodes. We haven't we haven't so, done the Atlantic yet, so you've only done right. Southeast. But still, I don't even yeah. But I don't even remember. Like generally speaking, I might have nine or ten teams in the playoffs. But if you're just looking at teams that are in the hunt for the playoffs, it's obviously you know, Cleveland and Milwaukee. They're in, mm-hmm. and Detroit right on the bubble could go either way. And then Indiana, nope. And the Bulls, hell no. <laughs> I don't know. Dwayne Wade He's going to lead some sneaky wins. Dwayne Wade, he's 35. I can't guard a chair. <laughs> there is that, yes. Sarah, how about you? How many teams do you see making it from this division? You basically ditto more. Um, Cavs and Bucks are in. I think I have the Pistons getting in but again I can't remember what I've already said <laughs> and yeah. I've, you know I kind of want to put Philly in mm. but I'll revisit that later Yeah, but so three I'll say three reasonable I'm gonna just say I'm assuming I'm pretty sure all of us had Wizards Hornets and Heat for Southeast and we haven't done the Atlantic so five with with the Cavs and Bucks that's five locks Pistons then a maybe just for, for the record um, Nikias how about you Three or two teams or four. <laughs> Can the Pacers surprise well, us all? Hey man, Victor Oladipo shows out. You never know. It's true. But uh, I'm going to go with three. I just don't know how healthy Philly's going to be. Mm-hmm. 
So I'll say Detroit gets in at eight. And Cleveland and Milwaukee are obvious locks. Yeah. Yeah. I if we recorded this podcast a week ago, I would have said two. But now after the Sixers held that little media get together, uh Brett Brown and Brian Calandolo luncheon, and they gave vague, ambiguous updates about Joel Embiid's health, I am now resigning myself to maybe 40 games of him if we're lucky so I think the Pistons are gonna sneak in as the eighth seed as well and I will also take three teams getting in Cleveland and Milwaukee clear locks oh I gotta ask you I gotta ask you if 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 beat is ruled out for the season yeah why are you doing what is your reaction like what what how would you even react like should we contact your wife should we just have like a hotline for alex so she can go check on you (laughs) no she's in the hospital the whole time yeah she'll she'll probably get the call before you will (laughs) (laughs) Uh, let's not talk about that hypothetical yet because i've already had to live through it three times so We'll just delay the inevitable until it happens, and then, yeah. We, we'll, <laughs> until it happens, we'll, yeah. we'll talk more when we do our Atlantic preview next week, and training camps will start, so we can see how inactive Embiid is going to be once training camp begins. I want to get a little more And if the episode starts off with you sopping, we know what's right, up. Yeah, there's a yeah. there's a 90% chance that happens. Um in the meantime, Nikias, thank you again for joining us today. And one more time, can you let listeners know where they can find you on Twitter and where they can find your work? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Nikias NBA, N E K I A S NBA. You can find my writing at Fan Rag Sports, or you can find some Heat content at MiamiHeatBeat.com. Good stuff. Yeah. Be sure to give Nikias a follow. In the meantime, also check us out on Twitter at the NBA Pod. You can find all of our handles in our bios to give us a follow as well. You can also find us on iTunes, so please subscribe, download, leave some reviews. We would love any feedback. And we're being hosted this year on FanRag Sports, so check them out on Twitter at FanRag Sports and for their NBA content at FanRag NBA. Until next time, I'm Brian Toporek, and I was joined by Morton Jensen, Sarah Chalea, and Nikias Duncan. Have a good one, everyone. You too, too, Brian. Appreciate it, man. Get to Old Navy for the biggest sale of the year. Up to 60% off all back-to-school styles for kids and baby. Get flip-flops for 2 bucks, graphic tees for 4 bucks, shorts for $6, and jeans for $8. Right now, get the best kids' styles at kid-size prices. Just 2 4 6 and $8. Can't wait to wear it? Buy online and pick up in-store free today. Up to 60% off all kids and baby styles. Now at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. Valid 729-811. Select styles. Excludes in-store clearance. Get to Old Navy for the biggest sale of the year. Up to 60% off all back-to-school styles for kids and baby. Get flip-flops for 2 bucks, graphic tees for 4 bucks, shorts for $6, and jeans for $8. Right now, get the best kids' styles at kid-size prices. Just 2 4 6 and $8. Can't wait to wear it? Buy online and pick up in-store free today. Up to 60% off all kids and baby styles. Now at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. Valid 729-811. Select styles. Excludes in-store clearance.